So this evening I want to preach to us on he- from Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd like to begin our reading of Scripture in the 11th chapter at verse 32. A few weeks ago I preached on this, sir, on this passage, but not the verses we're going to cover tonight. The su- subject of the sermon then was finishing well. But tonight, I want us to think about Christ as the best medicine for weak and weary saints. And that's what is especially in verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 12. So we have these saints in the Old Testament mentioned in Hebrews 11. And so we're going to read those, start at verse 32 and then um, it's what goes into verse uh, Hebrews 12. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, the guy from this morning, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skin and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, I want you to realize there are people suffering like this today. That's, that's the they, people suffer like this today. And all these things though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we uh, realize that the only thing that makes us different from these about which we read in your word is the distance of time. And uh, we also know that the things they were able to accomplish are no different from what you might call some of us to accomplish as well. The promises that they experienced are the same promises that were to be enjoyed by the Christians who heard these words first and then also to us and to your church. We thank you, Lord, that you give us things that are eternal to value and to love. We pray now that you would bless us as we come to your word 
and that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit and that you would make us to see the beauty and the glory of Christ. Here in your word, you have given these commands to uh, look unto Jesus, consider Jesus. These are things you have commanded of us. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would help us to see him and uh, go deeper into our knowledge and our love of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. For many people, to be a Christian means that it is something that is not very costly for them or not very hard. For many, being a Christian simply means to make a decision to invite Jesus into your heart and then you've got fire insurance and at least occasionally you can attend church and you try to obey God. You try to obey Him like you try to obey the Ten Commandments. Well, maybe you don't try to obey all the Ten Commandments. You maybe don't want to obey the Fourth Commandment about the Sabbath, but you try to obey the commandments. Well, maybe you don't want to obey all the commandments because there's sometimes people take God's name in vain and it's no big deal. But you try to obey the commandments. Well, maybe not all the commandments to be coveting. And, and it's okay to tell white lies and all these other things. So, basically what we have created is a type of Christian that has that is probably in many respects not a Christian at all because that person does not understand what it means to follow Jesus and the life to which he calls us. Now all of us here break the commandments of God. I remember one time someone was put out with me and they wanted me to be confronted with an elder in the church. And uh, the elder, and I took a witness along with me. I took my assistant pastor because I thought I might need me a witness. And so this couple confronted me in my sin. And the other elder was there too. And I don't even remember what the sin was. But after they confronted me, I said, Oh, wait, I've committed all of those sins. I've, don't, don't just jump on me for one commandment. I've broken all of them. Now, I didn't uh, try to... I w all I'm saying is that I was aware of my sin. It wasn't like there was just one that I had broken. But I had broken all, all the commandments, and we all make, break them. But the difference is that as Christians, we don't... If, if we are real Christians, it should grieve us when we break them. We should acknowledge our sin, it should grieve us, and we should work toward repentance. And I was repentant, and I was uh, sorry for my sins, and I did, at that time, was trying to follow Christ and live for Him. But to say that I had broken a sin was inaccurate, a commandment, because I'd broken many. But Christ describes the Christian life as a life of, that is involved in real struggle and real, a real battle. So listen to how Christ describes being a Christian. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These are, these are hard things. 
For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. We all like to be liked. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then from the apostles, the apostle Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. That's the standard. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The Apostle Paul says, The love of Christ controls us, having included this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It's hard for us. We don't necessarily want to live for another, but for ourselves. Or at least I have that struggle. And the Apostle John writes, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Other quotations could be mentioned to reveal the character of what it means for us to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not a section of one's life. It's not something that one does, but it is instead to be the predominant thing of the person's life, the direction in which their life is going. We still sin, and we repent of that sin. We ask for forgiveness. This week you and I are going to sin. Lord willing, we'll come back here next Lord's Day, and we'll have a time when we confess our sins. Or maybe we're confessing our sins to the Lord in the morning, or at night, or throughout the day, or whatever. We still sin. That's part of Repentance, that's part of living the Christian life. But we are well pleased with conviction, and we want to turn from our sin. All this points to the fact that many who are not Christians, who think that they are, because they believe that the Christian life is just summed up in making a decision, and they do not understand that they are required to deny themselves and to follow after Christ, that they are required to lose themselves, to live to please Christ and not themselves, to a holy life, to being those who proclaim the excellencies of God, so that you and I are pictures of Christ ourselves. Today at lunch, one of the adults described an event in a store this week in which They had done something that they wish they had not done. And it immediately reminded me of the times I've said things and done things in stores when I wasn't getting good service. And I've been so grateful. No one asked me what I did for a living at that time when I was a minister because I didn't want to have to answer that question because of my conduct. But the person who shared the story was convicted that they had done wrong, and I was convicted as well. That's all part and partial of being 
a Christian. But those who profess to be Christians and don't care, don't care that they sin, don't care that uh, they misrepresent Jesus, so don't care that they aren't the proper picture of Christ, then that is against what it means to be a believer and to follow Christ. The Christians in Hebrews had seen some of those who supposed to be Christians give up living the Christian life. You and I know people who profess faith in Christ and then they quit professing faith in Christ or else they wandered away from following Christ. And this is what the writer, this is what was going on in Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews was trying to keep everybody from doing that. The writer of Hebrews didn't want people to be forsaking Christ. And so that's why if you read this book, that's the secret to understanding this book is to help these believers to be encouraged to keep following Christ. And so they have all these things. They're, they're told all these things beautiful about Jesus. They're given these examples about other saints. And here they are given this charge to uh, look to Christ and to follow Him. And so Hebrews 12, 1 calls upon all Christians to do the same. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you go back to chapter 10, verse 39, we read this word. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And that's who you and I want to be tonight, okay? The eight of us here, small in number, but that's what we want to be. We want to be those who do not shrink back. The last part of verse 3 tells us what happens to us. We can grow weary and faint-hearted. And so our, our goal is to, tonight is to look a little bit at how do we remedy the situation of weariness and being faint-hearted or losing heart. So the first point to the sermon tonight is what Christians must be on guard against in living the Christian life. What is it we must be on guard against in living the Christian life? And that is in the last part of verse 3. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There are the examples of other believers in the Scripture who did grow weary and become faint-hearted. And you and I probably know times like that, but we don't want to stay there. I mentioned Job this morning. Job cursed the day he was born. He struggled greatly under trial. He thinks God is unfair. He wants to debate him. Or Psalm 73, Asaph, he came to the place, he was so down, he came to the place that it was a, that it, he almost professed this to the congregation of God's people, that it's a waste of time and energy to serve the Lord faithfully because all those people who don't even give a thought to God have it good. Now he came to his senses, and that's the beauty about Psalm 73. When you feel that way, you need to go there and then... When we go there, we get ourselves straightened out by the time we get to the end of it. 
And if we're not quite straightened out, we have to keep working at it. Elijah concluded that he was alone. He begs God to take his life. Jeremiah despairs of life. Other examples could be given. You're tired of dealing with particular sins that seem to plague you. And you are tempted to give in and quit fighting. Is that just something I struggle with or do you have that experience as well? You once had a zeal to see revival in Christ's church and reformation in culture. You are active in this cause for Christ and for the church. But the results don't come as you wanted. And it often seems to be a waste of time. I can remember praying when I came out of seminary for reformation and revival in the church. And you might say, well, Pete, God hadn't brought it. And it's true. He hasn't brought it. But I've seen a whole groundswell of more people who've come to faith and of reformation and revival that's taken place in many places. Sure, there's great apostasy, but there's also been great blessing and great fruit. Enjoying the things of this life seems to be passing us by at times because we devote time and energy to serving Christ. There are some believers who think that after they have served a while in the church, it's time for them to coast and let others come forward. People get tired of fighting, of speaking and living God's truth, and being at odds with others. It's no fun to be looked upon as mean and narrow and unloving and harsh. And to profess biblical Christianity today, you can expect this from the world, and you can expect it from some in the church. You may see yourself as overworked, a saint who is certainly worthy of retirement, or else deserving of a period of ease. Maybe you've grown weary, and some have lost heart. Perhaps we even come to church feeling that way sometimes. The weariness, the physical, emotional, mental weariness, spiritual weariness in our souls. This is not wrong. It is not sinful in itself. It is not unusual. We just can't stay there. We can't be there. We can't give up. We can't lose heart. We can't go into that mode. Maybe we could even describe this as burnout. You know, a few... I was talking to somebody this week and they were talking about this pastor who had burned out. Almost as though he was not as spiritual as he should be because he'd burned out. And immediately, this wasn't the deal with Lacey that he mentioned last week. This was somebody else. And immediately I said to this person, yeah, I got burned out. I was out of pastor for two years. I never went up the road that I didn't thank God I wasn't preaching. And this person just sort of looked at me weird. Earlier in the year, I listened to a businessman who I respect. He said every year he gets burned out. And I said to myself, Okay, an article on there's no disgrace in being burned out. Not because he did it, but because it is a fact. I mean, go back and look at missionaries. Go back and look at other pastors. 
Look at what happened in their lives. Go look at other Christians. Not that they were... After I went through burnout, I came through. I came to a few things that I could do in order to prevent it. And I did those things because I saw it coming later. And there are things that you and I can do to prevent it in our Christian walk as well. We need to guard against this. We don't need to become numb to the things of God. In speaking of his own experiences, the Apostle Paul mentioned how hard it was for him on occasion to follow Christ. Listen to this. Think about what he must have felt like. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless. We toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. I don't think Paul did this immediately. I think there are times probably, you know, he just like the rest of us, he had to work on this. Remember, he said he learned to be content. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even unto now. What enabled Paul and other saints to endure? The cure is in our text. The cure for weariness which leads to losing heart is looking unto Christ. Fixing our eyes upon Christ. And what it says in the first part of verse 2, looking to Jesus... And the first part of verse 3, considering Him. Now this doesn't mean looking to Jesus and studying pictures of Jesus or meditating upon Jesus or trying to imagine the facial expressions of Jesus. We used to have songs sung at Calvary talking about facial expressions and things like that. And it was all I could do to keep the peace, to try to keep those songs Special songs not being sung in worship. It's not talking about studying his physical characteristics. Yes, we look upon his grief. We can imagine that. Yes, we can look upon his suffering. Yes, we can imagine the holes in his body from the nails and all these things. The crown of thorns. But more deeply, it means to consider Christ as to who He is. What He is doing now. He is reigning and He is ruling, just like it says in Revelation. It is to consider how Christ lived His life. What was He thinking? You get so frustrated seeing all the evil. What must it have been like for Him? You get so frustrated thinking of all the good things that could be done What must it have been like for him? You could come up with a to-do list of all the things that could do, but there wasn't enough paper to cover Christ's to-do list. What was going on in his mind? What did he do? What, What was he thinking? God calls us to use our mind under the blessing of the Holy Spirit to consider Christ, to think about Christ. And when we have lost heart, and when we are looking everywhere else but to the Lord, we are look to look to Him. Sometimes we look at the results of our work, and how tired we are, and the trouble, and the trials, and the opposition. How mean-spirited people can be. How unjust situations can be. 
But that is not where we need to do what we need to do. We need to look to Christ. We need to take time to meditate upon Him. I don't know how you're going to do this. Maybe in your own personal devotions. Maybe in riding down the road. Maybe you seize upon particular verses to meditate upon. But you don't, this doesn't just happen. We have to take time. It requires mental energy to consider Jesus. Now the reason that we look to Jesus is what it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So if we are those who are in danger of losing heart and growing weary, we look to Him who gave us new hearts, and we look to Him who is the one who sanctifies us and causes us to become, to, to grow in grace. This is what Hebrews 2 sees. So you and I both know that there are things that we are to do to grow in grace. Peter says to be holy. And so there are things that you and I put in place that we might grow in grace. But the Bible also says that God is the one that sanctifies us. Which means that God is the one who's going to make us more conformed to the image of Christ. Listen to what Hebrews 2.11 says. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So Christ is our brother, and he sanctifies us. He is the perfecter of our faith. He is the perfecter of it. The Holy Spirit and the Father also sustain us, but Christ in His work as Savior is one who causes us to grow in grace. Last week when Lacey was talking about Jesus being our sanctification, you may remember this in second service. I don't know why he didn't use this verse. It's a great verse to use. But this is a verse that says we're already sanctified in one sense. It's 1 Corinthians 1.30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. But by His doing, by God's doing, you and I are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We already have our sanctification. There's the proof text that proved what it was that Lacey was talking about. So we look to Christ and we understand all we can about His person and work. We learn from Him as to how we can be revived from our weariness to continue on at times, even when we're weary. What was He thinking? What did He do? What did He accomplish? How do we think our thoughts after Him? How do we worship Him? What are we to think upon? There's two things here that are given to us to that Christ would teach us that we should give attention to. And that is that we should believe all that God reveals and promises in regard to the future. This is what we must do. This is what Christ did, and this can have a profound effect upon us and not losing heart. We have to believe God's promises. We have to believe God's promises. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the profounder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He had to believe 
what God had promised. He had to believe what it was that he was going to accomplish, what it was that he was going to do. He had to to believe in the joy that was set before him to keep him from losing heart and growing weary. If you had to make a list of what did Jesus think about and what he was that he was accomplishing, what was the joy that Jesus had set before him? What would you put on the list? How about take his place at the right hand of the throne of God? How about return to his heavenly glory and splendor? How about the assumption of absolute rule over all things? How about successfully accomplishing the forgiveness of sins for those with faith in Him? How about completing the eternal plan of the Father in saving a people for Himself? People come up with, this is the reason Jesus did what He did. There isn't a reason. There's all kinds of reasons. Add to that showing that God is just, but also the justifier. Enabling those he loved to enter into eternity in his joy and with his blessing. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ knew there were things to which he could look forward. He knew there were things in God's plan that he was accomplishing, even though by all outward appearances he was a failure before the world. You and I can know that same truth. God calls us to take seriously and believe all that He has said in regard to the future. He has called us to live our lives like we believe it. To know with assurance that nothing we do now is in vain in the Lord. Was it Sproul was always saying, right now counts forever. To be encouraged that this life is not all there is and there is a life to be continued in heaven which will be infinitely superior to the best of times we have had on earth. And all things will be settled. All that revenge that you want to take on people, the Lord's going to deal with all that. Chapter 10, verse 35 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's what we all want. We all want to see receive what is promised. Our joy will be in this, and our joy will be to honor God with our lives and to please Christ and to be among His people, to experience the fullness of His love. What would that be like, to experience the fullness of His love without the effects of sin on us? To serve Christ in heaven, to not just to worship Him, but to do His bidding. The absence of all evil and everything that relates to it. There is joy set before us. Just like there was joy set before Jesus. The second thing we have to remember is that present sufferings 
Endure present sufferings because they are not in vain. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Jesus never forgot this. I mean, think about the times that he might have said, okay, it's just a big waste. My family doesn't believe in me. My hometown doesn't believe in me. My disciples have forsaken me. The religious leaders don't recognize me. I heal people and tell them to keep their mouth shut and they go about telling everybody, making me, making more trouble for me. Christ never forgot for a moment that he would be that 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 all that he did would be would be beneficial. It was these other things that he endured in verse three. He endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. He endured all kinds of hostility. He endured hostility as Isaiah says then and that we are familiar with but we need to be reminded of in Isaiah 53 verses 5 for us he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities verse 10 yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief and when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the Lord, will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. That's the shame he suffered. He endured hostility by sinners against himself. He dies the shameful death of crucifixion. He is the Son of God who is treated like a horrible criminal. He is forsaken by family and friends. He is considered a fool by his enemies. He is hated by religious leaders and government officials. He is their creator and the one to whom they owed all worship and honor and obedience. He is called a glutton and a wino. He is rejected because he showed love to the outcast of society. He is called a madman and described as being demon-possessed and mocked as a fool. And we could go on and on. Let us remember Christ. Let us consider Christ. He will not forget even the least thing that we endure and suffer for Him. He will not forget our struggling with sin. I, I grant about this because I don't know about you, but I, I have a hard... It's hard to, to believe that He won't forget, but He won't. We have to believe this. He will not forget our careful confession of His truth. He will not forget our serving others for Him even though... They don't appreciate it and they don't care. Don't let our enemies intimidate us. Don't let our trials overwhelm us. 
Don't let the world dictate to us what we are to believe. Understand that being a Christian is that we are not without a cross. And a Christianity without a cross and without self-denial and struggle and suffering and opposition is not true. It's popular today as I began. But it is not Christianity. It is Christianity without Christ and it is false. Jesus neither believed or lived or taught this nonsense. We are to remember Christ. Remember that what He has endured for us. He is a Savior to us who will never leave us or forsake us, but strengthen us in all that we endure for Him. Let us go to Christ, our Savior, our Deliverer. In our moments of growing weary and losing heart, of being burned out in following Him and dealing with all that comes to us as a result of being His people, Let us remember Christ, consider Christ, go to Christ, and call upon Him as our salvation. Let us pray. Almighty God, we know that the Christian life, our growing in grace, cannot be lived by willpower. We know we're responsible to act and do certain things and use the means of grace and all these things. We pray that you would help us to do it. But they're only effectual, blessed by your Holy Spirit. And then, Father, we know also to overcome our sin and all these other things. We need your grace. And so, Jesus, help us. Help us, we pray. Be our wisdom and our help and our confidence. Help us not to grow weary and lose heart in well-doing. Help us to confess you, to believe all your promises for the present and for the future. And we thank you, Lord, for the future. We thank you that there's a better life beyond the grave. We thank you that you are the first fruits of the resurrection, of our resurrection. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon us this week. As we go about our way, help us to keep you before us, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing a closing hymn.